we have the pleasure of welcoming our Bogrot who are joining us uh, via Zoom. Uh, so here's got, she's got the thing under control here. Um, we, we do ask um, if everybody could please if everybody could please just turn your the Wi-Fi off so that we leave all the bandwidth for the um, for the Zoom connection, that would be really really helpful. Okay, so I, I want to once once again, um, even though he's gone already, but I want to thank uh, Mike Lunderberg for his presentation, taking us all the way back. Um, I, I do want to. I can't hold myself back. Um, so I'm, I'm just gonna clarify um, one issue. Um, we'll get to this later on this evening as well. But uh, as long as it's fresh in our minds, I just wanna I I point it out. Uh, I, I, couldn't, I was sitting in the back over there, I couldn't see who asked the question over here. Uh, but yes, it is true that the Tzan Khanim um, arrived on Harabait and they asked, where is the Kotel? This is one of the most tragic questions in the history of the Jewish people. The Kotel is the outside wall of Haramayit. Next time you're given a gift and you ask, where is the wrapping paper? You can understand the tragedy of what went on in those moments. And we're paying the price of that tragedy all the way up through today. And Bezrat Hashem, it's changing slightly, and Jews are starting to ask, where is Harabait, rather than where is the Kotel? Uh, and you saw a picture of him on Harabait. So I, I just like to make a very simple statement here. Um, there's a big debate as to whether or not Jews are allowed to go to Harabait, nowadays or not. Um, and that was going to be the subject of this hour originally, but I changed my mind and give a to, to deal with Yerushalayim Shul Zahab instead. So I'm just going to get to the bottom line. It is allowed, and it is a mitzvah, and it is very important for as many Jews as possible to get to Harabayit or Pihalacha. Now, Pihalacha, without going through the whole hour and a half shir, you cannot go without going to the mikvah. Okay, so that being said, uh, we'll leave all the details for some other time. But I don't want to find any of you, yeah, we went there because the shame says it was very important without listening to the other half. We can't go without going to the mikvah. For women going to the mikvah is not just going to the mikvah, there's bidikot, there's a whole shiva nikim, there's a whole process there that uh, you need to consult with uh, Dr. Judith Fogel in order to get all the details. But after a full process of tahara, um, it's, it's an important thing. Bezat Hashem, tomorrow morning, I will go to the mikvah in order to be able to go to Harabait. Will it be open or won't it be open to Jews is a question that I won't know until tomorrow morning. But I, I just want to put it out there that that's the direction. That's where we're headed. That's where we belong. And yes, there's a debate about it. I am more than happy to defend my halachic position on this um, against the various questions that are out there. I have done so for the last 26 years. 
since I was first Zoche to be on Harabait. And as of late, um, I do my best to be there at least once a week. And I was an idiot this week. And I didn't go, I usually go on Tuesdays. And I, I, I waited till Tuesday and they closed Harabait to Jewish presence on Monday after the, the hours were there. This last week, and it's a week, as far as I'm concerned, without tefillah. It's a week of being banished, it's a week of being in the wrong place, it's a week of being rachok. And we don't, we don't deserve those weeks anymore. We should be able to be close, we should be able to be karov, karov It needs to be done properly, and again, I'm just gonna stress once again, no one should go without the proper halachic instruction, and that's not going to be our subject matter of today, um, but it's an hour and a half presentation, and we'll get to it at a different time. Yom Atzmaut of 1967. As you can tell, we had Yom Atzmaut a few weeks ago, so it's a few weeks before what will become known as Yom Yerushalayim eventually, but at that time it wasn't scheduled as Yom Yerushalayim. Yom mode of that year, there is a competition, a song competition, in honor of Israeli Independence Day. And it's a competition that's being held in the Binyanei HaUma, next to, next to the Tachan Merkazit. And there's all kinds of people submitted all kinds of songs for the competition. But as with all these competitions, there's not just the songs of the competition, but there's like the, you know, the commercial breaks. You know, and a word from our sponsor, and you know, the mayor of Yerushalayim is gonna speak, and all kinds of things. So Teddy Kolak, who was the mayor of Yerushalayim for many years, he decided that he wants all of these uh, intermissions that are there, the non-competitive songs, to be dealing with Yerushalayim. And they turned to four different artists at the time, and they told them, we want you to compose new songs about Yerushalayim. Because they went back and they looked, and since 1948 until 1967, almost no new music was produced about Yerushalayim. It wasn't on the radar. Yerushalayim in 1948 fell into Jordanian hands, this part of Yerushalayim, the other part of Yerushalayim was going through te- very difficult times. No one was particularly romantic and poetic about Yerushalayim. And Teddy Kolek says, I want new, new songs about Yerushalayim. They turned to four different artists and they all said, as good artists do, that some of you are very creative here as well, that if I return to you and I would tell you, I want you to be creative about X, you would say, that's creativity? You're telling me what to be creative about? And they all refused. And Nomi Shemer was one of those. And he, she also refused. She said, I can't do it. She said, I tried, actually. I tried to sit there, but I had a writer's block. Because you said, write about Yerushalayim. And that's like impossible to write about something when someone's told you to write about something. So Gilal Demma, who was the guy who was in charge, turns to her, is on a phone conversation, when she called him to refuse to be, to be able to write such a poem, write such a song, 
He says to her, you know what? Forget about it. Forget about the Yerushalayim piece. Don't worry about that. That's not important. Uh, but I need material. Like, we're having intermission. I need a piece that's there. I need someone to write something. I need you to write a new song. But do me a favor. Just forget about Yerushalayim. Don't write about Yerushalayim. Just ignore it. Just write me anything. And then they finish their phone conversation. He puts down the phone and he turns to the other people in his office and he says, Now she'll write about Yerushalayim. <laughs> and Nomi Shemer wrote Yerushalayim Shazahav. Yerushalayim Shazahav. And at first attempt, she only wrote two stanzas of the song. A third stanza was added later, and the fourth was added even later. And we'll go through them, and we'll, and we'll see in a moment the evolution of the different parts of the song. The term Yerushalayim Shulzahav, I didn't do it today, I should have. But if you do a Google search for Yerushalayim Shulzahav, you do it in English, you do it in Hebrew, you know, a little Google guy behind the screen will be saying, oh, well, 1.4 million? Uh, they, you know, it took me 0.8 seconds to find this for you, okay? But I, uh, I went running around, this little guy, little guy Google comes huffing and puffing up to your screen and gives you 14 billion <coughs> references. Now, if you go into the, the halakhic literature, the Jewish literature, Prior to 1967, if you do a Google search, they didn't have that, but if you did it, you know, in the, if you search the databases of all halakhic literature, all midrashic literature, for the phrase Yerushalayim shel zahav, you find one reference. It's not a big thing, it's one reference. And today, it's everywhere. Yerushalayim shel zahav became part of our lives. It defined Yerushalayim. You've got jewelry companies by the name of Yerushalayim Shulzahav, which was obviously very relevant. You have tourism countries, uh, companies. You have hotels. You have, you name it. Everybody and their uncle has used the term Yerushalayim Shulzahav, and it all started from this song because until Nomi Shemer wrote it, no one knew about the Gemara and Rabbi, about Rabbi Akiva and his wife. But Rabbi Akiva, in one of the most romantic stories we have in the Gemara, Rabbi Akiva and his wife. Rabbi Akiva is a nobody. He's an illiterate shepherd. And the daughter of the most powerful rich man in the neighborhood, and this Nebuch Shepherd, they got, they got a thing, as they would say. Right? And they, there's a connection, and, the, and, and these people are, they, they want to get married. It's like, a, it's like right out of the fairy tales. And the father hears about this and makes it very clear to his daughter that, uh, no, <laughs> no. Forget it. And she decides, no, 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 this is going to happen. And they elope. They elope. They get married. This is unheard of. Like today, this would be wild. Back then, this was like ridiculous. And he does what any rich father would do when his daughter went against his will. He did the most natural thing. That's write her out of the will. I make it very clear to her that, you know, you want to go hang out with this guy, you're going to be, you know, poor with him and, you know, you're out of here. And they had nothing. They had nothing. 
and they went to live in a barn. They slept in a barn. And the Gemara tells us about Rabbi Akiva pulling the straw out of his wife's hair in the morning from lying down in this barn. And he looks to her and he says, Dear Rachel, which is her name, if I could only buy you a Yerushalayim Shel Zahav, I would do so. A little poor Nebuchadnezzar. He's got nothing, doesn't have a cent to his name. But he's got this, Rabbi Akiva is a very passionate character. From the moment we meet him up until his tragic death, he's a guy who, we feel him. If I could, I would get you Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. What's Yerushalayim Shel Zahav? Yerushalayim now, today, when we think about Yerushalayim, we have the walls with the things up and down like that. Rabbi Kiva didn't have that. Okay, so whatever Yerushalayim skyline looked like, made out of gold, I would buy it for you. Making a long story short, the years go on, he goes off the yeshiva, he comes back, I wish he could go more, he goes back more. Uh, you guys all know the stories. And at the end of the day, he comes out of, uh, upon a fortune in three different ways. And sure enough, they all live happily ever after. That's not true, but whatever. Um, but as far as this part of the story is concerned, he buys her the Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. It's a beautiful idea. I do want to point out that we all know what Yerushalayim was like during Rabbi Akiva's time. I, I don't know, what, are you guys learning Masech and Makot with Rabbi Yeah. Okay. But Hashem will make a siyum at the end of the year on Masech and Makot. And the very end of Masechet Makot tells us about Rabbi Akiva walking on the ruins of Harabait and with his ultimate optimism laughing and rejoicing. And they ask him, are you nuts? There's a churban. And he says, I know there's a churban, but if there's a churban which was in a vua, there'll also be a binyan, there'll also be a gula, which is also a nevua. I make that whole story very, very short. But I just want to put in context what Yerushalayim looked like to Rabbi Akiva. It was a mess. It was a destroyed mess. But even for that destroyed mess, what does Rabbi Akiva say? I would, give, I would love to buy for you, my love. Yerushalayim shel zahav. Yerushalayim shel zahav. Nomi Shemer starts the first stanza trying to describe to us the experience of Yerushalayim, the way she felt it. Avir harim et salul kayayim, v'reach oranim. Mountain air. I don't have any translation in English in front of me, so things sound a little bit awkward. If you guys have a better word, please feel free to, to jump in. I'm doing this off the cuff. The mountain air that is as clear as wine and the fragrance of pine. You feel the avir. All the senses are coming here. All the senses. You feel the avir. You see it. It's tzalul. It's clear. Usually, today is not a day like that. But usually, Yerushalayim's air is... Mountain air. The rest of the country is a humidity mess. You go out on Yerushalayim in the evenings. Usually 
actually on my Yom Yerushalayim instructions for tonight is bring a sweater because it's going to be freezing out there. I left that off this year. But it's usually freezing by the time we finish with this. Bring a sweater. Avir harim. oranim. The smell of pine. Where does reach oranim come from? So if you're traveling up to Yerushalayim from Tel Aviv, there's a whole bunch of, of forested land with oranim, with these pine trees, which was a disaster. This is the, one of the biggest mistakes that the JNF, the Kakal, did. They, bought, they got all kinds of land and they, put it, they, built, they planted trees on them. Or you've all, your bat mitzvah for someone, say, you know, your, your grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary, where you dedicated some forest, right? Or a piece of a forest, you bought a tree in Eretz Israel, And the JNF has been, build, been, has been planting these forests for a long time. And in the early part of the 20th century, they put a whole bunch of these pine forests. Pine is not the tree to grow around here. It's not endemic to, to, to this area, to the Middle East. And terrible fires happened about 15 years ago and burnt most of them down because in the summer, it just was like, it was just like a tinderbox, the whole thing there. But when it doesn't burn down, she's talking about the experience that she had of smelling the road to Yerushalayim. Nisa beruach ha'arbayim im kol pa'amoni. That avir is, is in the air, in the afternoon air. And the sound of bells. What bells? What bells? It's church bells. Okay, there's church bells. This is not a, you know, this is the experience. Like, you guys, you don't even wake up from this anymore. By the way, guys, Kevin, do you know this? That there are church bells every day in Yerushalayim that used to wake you up in the first week or so. And there's a moazin at 4.15 in the morning, but you don't even hear him calling you to prayer. You don't hear anybody calling you to prayer, but that's not a, that's a, that's a different issue. Okay. And in this Tardemet is, is a coma A sleep, a deep sleep Modern Hebrew Tardemet is a coma And it's in, it's, 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 it's in a sleep Made out of, of rock Made out of wood It's, it's, it's dreaming Yerushalayim is, is a sleep Yerushalayim is, is alive, but it's in a coma. Ha'ir asher badad yoshevet The city that is badad yoshevet. Reference here clearly from which pasuk? Echa. Perak Aleph. Pasuk Aleph. Echa yashvar badad. Ha'ir abatiyam. Ha'ita ka'almana. How could this city that was so, everybody was in the city, everybody knew Yerushalayim, Yashba Badad, it's alone. Yerushalayim has been abandoned by everybody. And in Baliba Choma, and in its heart, there's a wall. What wall? What wall? What? Okay, Koltel, that's one reading, possibly. The other, the other possibility? You didn't notice the pictures that Michael showed you earlier. Running right through Yerushalayim, there was a wall that divided the east side from the west side of, of, of Yerushalayim. The Jordanian side from the Israeli side of Yerushalayim. So I, I don't know which one she meant here. Right? There's, a, there's a wall in the heart of the city. Is that the Kotel? That's the wall in the heart of the city. 
Or is it a wall that is built right in the heart of the city? It can be in either, either direction. Skip to, skip to uh, stanza three, because one and three were written first. Okay, it's, the order is, in the order they were written is one and three, and then two and four. Okay? So we're skipping to stanza three. Ah, ah, however. Bivoli hayom, when I come today, lashir lach, to sing to you, v'lach likshor k'tarim, and to put crowns upon you. First stanza, describe Yerushalayim, describe the, the senses, what it means to be in Yerushalayim, but end it off with a, a wall. There's a wall there, either a good wall or a troubling wall. But Yerushalayim, I want to sing to you. I want to crown you. The verb of likshor lach k'tarim is a, is a difficult verb, but nonetheless. Likshor lach k'tarim. What, what do you put k'tarim on? What, what has a crown? Kings have crowns. What else has crowns? Rabbi Akiva. What else has crowns? The letters in the Torah have crowns. The letters in the Torah have crowns. This is the most incredible midrash. Okay, I'm going to run through it quickly. Moshe Rabbeinu is hanging out. He has a very rough seminar. Okay? He's got 40 days and 40 nights to learn the Torah. And at some point, he goes there and he finds a Kurdish Baruch Hu sitting there with the letters of the Torah and God is putting on top of the letters of the Torah little crowns. Right? The letters in the sacred Torah, the letters of Shatnei's Gats. Okay? Those letters, each of them, has a little crown on top. Ashkenazim do them in one way, Sephardi do it in a different way. But there's crowns on top of those letters. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, excuse me, God. God says, yes. God has a deep voice. Uh, and and, and he, says, he says, what are you doing? What, why are you putting crowns on these letters? And a Kaddish Baruch who says, I'm putting crowns on these letters because one day, generations down the line, there's going to be an individual by the name of Rabbi Akiva. And let me show you what he's going to do with these letters. And Moshe Rabbeinu is transported in time to the back row of the shear of Rabbi Akiva. And he's listening to the shear of Rabbi Akiva. And Rabbi Akiva has a drasha, has a halacha that he learns out from each and every crown. Not just from the words, not just from the letters, but from the crowns on the letters. Rabbi Akiva learns these various halachot. And Moshe Rabbeinu is sitting in the back row, and he says, he, he turns to God and he says, if he can do all of that, and I don't even understand what he's talking about, why don't you give the Torah through him instead of me? Why am I here? He's like, he's like, he's, he's good. And God says to Rebbe, it says to Moshe Rabbeinu, listen, 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 listen a second. And one of the other students raises his hands in the shir and he says, Rabbeinu, Rabbi Akiva, where do you know this from? How do you know this halacha? How do you know that halacha? And Rabbi Akiva looks at him and just looks him right in the eye and he says, this is a halacha Moshe Sinai. Halacha Moshe Sinai. 
This is what Moshe Rabbeinu taught us. This is what Moshe Rabbeinu learned in Sinai. Everything I have is from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu sort of like scratches his forehead. That's not a measure that I, I put in. <laughs> and I get it. In other words, it's all there. Likshor lachktarim. Everything. I Yerushalayim. What do I want to do? What do I want to do to Yerushalayim? Says Nomi Shemen. I'm coming today to do what? To sing to Yerushalayim. What do you sing to? What do you sing? What is song? Song comes from the kishkis. Song comes from inside. It comes from deep down. It comes from, from feeling. It comes from emotion. And it's not just about Yerushalayim, but it's It's not just Yerushalayim. It's every bit of Yerushalayim. So I'm coming today to sing to you, says Nomi Shemer. Katonti mitzair banaich. But I have a problem because I'm inadequate. I don't think I can do it. I'm not qualified. I'm, I'm smaller than the youngest of all of your children. Who am I to write about Yerushalayim? I'm like the, I'm less than the last of the poets. Yerushalayim? I'm supposed to write about Yerushalayim? I'm supposed to praise Yerushalayim? I'm supposed to describe Yerushalayim? Nomi Shemer says, I'm supposed to write the anthem of Yerushalayim? Which well, she did. Kishimchat sorevet asfataim. Kineshikat saraf. Because your name, Yerushalayim, the name Yerushalayim, Burns, sears one's lips as if it was kissed by an angel. The very attempt at even saying Yerushalayim is so holy, is so beyond our experience, is so not the here and now. It's, it's way beyond my abilities. Yerushalayim, if I forget, if I could, obviously can't, forget Yerushalayim that is pure gold. That's the end of the song. That's the end of the poem that Nomi Shema writes. Two stanzas. Obviously in the middle, Yerushalayim, Shalzahav, 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 Zahav, Nehoshet, or For all of your songs, I am the instrument to play on. I'm going to make myself the instrument to praise and sing to Yerushalayim. This is a love song to Yerushalayim. It starts with the experience of Yerushalayim, the feeling of Yerushalayim, the sorrow about Yerushalayim, it's Yoshevet Badad, it's alone. Belibach there's a wall either dividing us or there's a wall that's far and inaccessible from us. But nonetheless, nonetheless, as we all know, Yushalayim holds a very, very, very dear place in the heart of each and every Jew. And this is what Nomi Shema writes in stanza three. 
Anzi Yerushalayim. It's to feel it on my lips. Praise Yerushalayim. There's no Jew in the world that doesn't feel for Yerushalayim. The sentence at every single Jewish wedding and other ceremonies as well. It's part of us. It's part of us. Yerushalayim. Okay, the song's over. She gives it to one of her friends to take a look at. And she says, um, you, you, you haven't described it well enough. Because my father, who lived in Yerushalayim and was thrown out of the old city in 1948, do you know that he thinks of Yerushalayim every single day and cries? Do you know that he does nothing about, except for talk about the experiences of being Yerushalayim? Where's that? Where is that in the song? Nomi Shemra, you didn't do it right, you didn't do enough. And she says, well, I, I wrote, I wrote, look at it, the end of the first dance, like, you don't get it. It's more than that. So she says, goes back to, the, to her desk. And she writes stanza number two. Okay, the reason she writes stanza number two is because we haven't captured the yearning, the gagua for Yerushalayim. And she opens the second verse with the word Echa, which means, what does Echa mean? How? But how would you say how? Ech. But she uses echa. Why? Because recha. Okay? Because the term echa is copyrighted. By Megillat echa. And when you use the word echa, you know this is not good news. Ech is an informative question. Echa is oi. Echa comes with oi. Echa comes with Tisha B'Av. Echa yavshu barut hamayim. Kikar hashuk reka. How could it be that the water cisterns have dried up? And the marketplace is desolate. No water, no people in the market. What market is he talking about? What market is empty? You guys walk by the stores. Guys, remember Corona? You walk through the, you walk through the Kikar, everything's closed. There's no one here. I daven mincha outside the Ramban Shul in the middle of the week, and, and you can have all the kavana you want in the world because there's no one walking through the square. It's all closed. It's all closed. It's all dried up. There's no water, no, there's no one living here. Echa yavshu barot hamayim kikara shukrika. 
ואין פוקד את הר הבית בעיר העתיקה. I talked about a few minutes ago in my own editorial piece at the beginning. Harabayit without Jews on it is Eicha. Eicha. Uba ma'arot asher basela miyalalot ruchot. In the caves, on the cliffs in the area, you go outside of Shartzion. Okay, you guys with me? Go outside of Shartzion. You walk to the, where the buses usually pick you up. Okay, instead of getting on the bus, you just walk to the edge over there and you look over, and in the area there, there's a whole bunch of caves that are there. Little caves, some of them are Bayerishon burial caves, some of them. Now, if you're, a, if you're a kid here, before 1948, where do you play hide and seek? Where do you hang out? Where do you have your clubhouse with a chevre? And now what's there? Jewish kids playing? Before we broke and we went outside for a couple of minutes, I had the pleasure and the privilege of playing frisbee with two Roba kids. Oh, for any idea? I played frisbee with Jewish children. Fifty-four years ago today, there was no frisbee with Two little kids with payas in the middle of the whole chabad. But I threw a frisbee to them today. He missed it. Israelis don't know frisbee very well. Anyway. <laughs> and no one is traveling to Yam HaMelech, to the Dead Sea, via Yericho. Okay, here you need a picture of the map a little bit. Okay, you are here. Okay, in Yerushalayim. Okay, and in that direction behind you is, if we keep going, okay, in about 300 meters is Harabait. Not, not relevant right now. Beyond that is a road. And that road heads east. And then it goes east, it goes down the hill, past Jericho to get to Yamamelech. That's the way to go to Yom HaMelech. Okay, we spent Shabbat in Al-Mog a few months ago together. Okay, that's exactly what happened. For that road, right down in that direction, you get to the bottom, turn left to Yericho, right to Al-Mog, that's where we were for Shabbat, we could see, we could see the Yom Between 1948 and 1967, you can't use that road because that's Jordan. You can still go to Yom HaMelech because the southern part of Yom HaMelech is Israel. But you want to go to Yom HaMelech? No, 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 it's not a 35-minute drive. Okay, it's two and a half hours. Because you'll go from here, and you'll go, instead of going east, you'll go west, and then you'll go south, and then you'll circle around, and you'll get there eventually. I'm not exactly sure why this is a big deal for Nomi Shemer, but it is, and we'll revisit it soon again. Another aspect of Yerushalayim, in other words, it's geographic position. Now we got a poem. Now we got a song. This is Yerushalayim Shul Sahav. 
And this, these three stanzas are the three stanzas that were performed by a young soldier, Shuli Natan, at that song festival of Yom Ha'atzma'ut of 1967, during the intermission. Trivia question. Which of the songs in the competitive part won the competition? It wasn't part of the, this wasn't part of the competition. This is just like the commercials. I don't think there's a human being alive today that knows the answer to that question, except probably the person who wrote that song, and can't believe that someone stole their thunder. Because no one knows who won, won that competition. But when they went to announce what the winner, who the winner was, the crowd yelled out, Yushalayim Shulzanov! And they brought her back on the stage again to perform it, an encore, to do it once again. Yushalayim Shulzanov captured the Israelis from Yom Atzmaut, of 1967. Yom Atzmut is Hey B.E.R. On that day, the chief of staff and the prime minister are called away from the festivities. They're given a, a report of what was going on in Egypt, and they call up the next day, they called up all of the Israeli reserves. And the country is ready to go to war. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And weeks go by. There isn't an able-bodied man in any city in Israel. They're all in the army. And everybody is waiting. And people are starting to get a little bit annoyed because I have a business to take care of, I have a family. You're like, you know, there's a war, let's go to war. If there's no war, I'm going home. And then he told the prime minister, we got a morale problem with the people. We need an inspirational speech. Okay, give it an, you need an inspirational speech? Well, give me an inspirational speech. And he has a speechwriter who does inspirational speeches write a speech for him. And on the way driving him over to the radio station, he looks over the speech and he wants to make some additions and some changes. He takes out a pencil and he makes an up arrow and he crosses something off and he makes all the corrections to the speech and he arrives at the radio station and he goes in and the announcer announces the following is the message from the Prime Minister of the State of Israel. He says it in Hebrew. And Levi Eshkol starts making the speech and you know what happens? He gets like to where he made those corrections and he doesn't exactly remember what the up arrow says because he was like doing it in the car and it wasn't 100% clear. And he stutters and he repeats himself. And there's all these people sitting on their tanks on the, on, the, on the Egyptian border and on the Syrian border listening to a transistor to hear our fearless leader inspire us. By the time he finished that speech, people looked around and they said, just one syllable. Oi. The whole country said oi. Ashkenazim said oi. Sephardim said oi. Everybody said oi. 
heading to a Chorban. And you saw the footage before. I spoke to my family about this Friday night because Yom Yerushalayim is the third day of the war. The first day of the war this year, the way it worked out was Shabbat. I came home from Shul on Friday night and I told my family that today, tonight, is the anniversary of how miracles happen. The entire country was saying, Oi. The entire country says, We're finished. Only a few people knew the plan. Only HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew it was going to work. At night, we went to sleep in tears and woke up in the morning in joy. The first day of the war, Egyptian army is wiped out. Second day of the war, the Air Force. The second day of the war, we're running towards the Suez Canal. Third day of the war, King Hussein of Jordan decides to believe the Egyptian propaganda that says, we're winning and we're in Tel Aviv in hours. They were running away, but they were broadcasting psychological warfare. And Hussein hears us and says, oh my God, the Jews are getting thrown into the sea. I'm not going to be left behind. And he opens on attack. In the third day of the war, I'll talk about this later on this evening, Yerushalayim is taken. Yerushalayim is captured. At this time, Nomi Shem is in the Sinai Desert. The heck is Nomi Shem doing in the Sinai Desert? Well, she's doing something that happens in all kinds of wars where the entertainers go out to build morale amongst the soldiers. So she was sent together with other performers to go have these concerts out in the middle of nowhere, you know, to cheer up the forces, you know, drum up the morale. Nomi Shemer in the middle of the Sinai Desert is chasing the forces in order to do another concert and another concert. And she hears on the afternoon of the third day of the war, it comes across the army radio, Matagur's statement, Harabayit biyadenu. She's trying, she's running desperately with these entertainers, you know, on their, on their jeep, plowing their way through the, 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 the Sinai Peninsula in order to grab some soldiers who were busy trying to chase down those, stop for a second, don't chase the Egyptians, we want to do a song or two. And then, and then, then go ahead. Okay, and this is what she's doing there. And she finds out that Yerushalayim was taken. Yerushalayim is ours. Nomi Shemen, that night, goes to the headlight of a jeep. She takes out a pen. She reaches into her pocket. All she has in her pocket is her address book. Used to be an address book. And she takes out her address book and she pens the fourth stanza. Turn the page over, some of you have already figured it out. Mm -hmm. 
This is it. This is Nomi Shemer's address book. Yes, there's a guy on the side there, Lily Elias, and there's a phone number. I'm positive that a zillion people have done the research trying to find out who this Lily is. Okay, I'm being on the most, one of the most important and historical pieces of paper in the history of modern Israel. And Nomi Shemer pens the fourth stanza. And you see that it didn't come so easy for her. She, she tried it and then she retried it. It started off with Shelanu Heimborotamayim. No, 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 that's not good. Let's try something else. Chazarnu Heimborotamayim. Oh, that's that's good. Okay, she did the first one, she crosses it off, and she continues, and then she corrects, and back and forth. You're seeing the artist's work. You're holding the historic document. So let's see what the final product is on the, on the previous page. And stanza number four is having a conversation with stanza number two. Because remember, stanza number two was written because the song wasn't sad enough. It wasn't tragic enough. It wasn't echa enough. So that needed to be corrected. And now we have to turn stanza two on its head. So stanza four is the mirror image of stanza two. Chazarnu el borot hamayim lashuk we have returned. We have returned to all those things we were missing in stanza two. To those cisterns of water, to the market, to the square. Shofar korei bahar habayit bi'ir ha'atika. The shofar is being sounded on harabayit. By whom? By Rav Goren. Rav Goren, Rav Rashi one of the most eccentric figures in modern Israeli history, an incredible man, but he was nuts. And he was at Sankhan. The reason he was at Sankhan is because he was the rabbi of Tzahal, and he wanted a kosher kitchen in 1948 in the basis of the Sankhanim, and when he went into the kitchen, it went to the mefakeh of the, of the Sankhanim, and he says, I want to make this kitchen kosher because I'm the rabbi. And the rabbi and the, the fakir looked at me and said, "Listen, rabbi, there's not a single dati chayal in this unit, so that no one cares about kashrut. We, we the sanhedrin, are all kibbutz guys. No one cares about kashrut. We're not going to have kosher kitchen. It's not necessary. It's a waste of time. When I get my first dati soldier, I'll make the kitchen kosher." And the guard said, "Okay." Turned around, signed up for the paratroop course. About four weeks later, finished the course, appears back in the same Mifakade's office with his paratrooper wings on his uniform, salutes him, and he said, I'm Fakade, reporting for duty as at Sankhan. Now let's go to those kitchens. <laughs> That's Rivgorin. So Rivgorin, the night before, he, he sees this is going on, and Rivgorin goes, I, 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 I gotta be part of this. And Rav Garen is part of the front lines of the battle. And while all the Tzanchanim 
are doing it properly, like good chayalim kravim, like good combat soldiers do it. When you walk, you don't walk in the middle of the street. You walk near the end and you make sure you cover the guy on the other side. And you know, each side, make sure you're in coordination, no one gets hurt, etc. But Ravgar is right through the middle. Tefillin on his head, Sefer Torah in his arm, Shofar in the other hand. And the rest of the Sanchanim are running to keep up with him because they don't want him to get hurt. Shofar Korei Baharabait. He's the one that makes the Shechiano. Shofar Korei Baharabait. Biratika. Ubema'arot Asher Basela. And those caves. Alfesh Mashot Zarchot. Thousands of suns. S-U-N-S. Sparkle. Life is back. They're not winds that are howling through empty caves. But there's sun reflecting off of those caves. Nashuv. Nereid al-yam ha-melach b'derech We will once again go down to yam ha-melach via Yericho because that's now accessible. Yerushalayim Shel Zahav, you can listen to the recordings, was sung at the Kotel by the Tzan in 1967. It was written three weeks earlier. When they captured the Kotel, they sang Hatikva and they sang Yerushalayim Shel Zahav. To understand what kind of impression this, this song made. There are two pieces of, you can call them prophecy if you want, about Two pieces of prophecy, I think. Both of them, both Nevi'im, said their Nevi'ah on Yom Ma'at's of 1967, just three weeks before they happened. One of them, Nomi Shemer. She wrote a song about Yerushalayim that became the lifeblood of the people. And immediately after, when it became a reality, her song became the song. The Tzviyu the Kuk. That same Yom, that same Yom Ha'atzma'ot, speaking at the Suda Chagigit in Yeshivat Merkaz Arav. The Yeshiva that started by Rav Kuk, the father, and then led by Rukuk the son of Tziyuda, have a big suda every year on Yom Ha'atzmaut. And Tziyuda gets up. And in, what is his sicha about? And he's saying, we're here to celebrate Yom Ha'atzmaut, but, but, but we're missing pieces. Eifo Hebron shalanu. Instead of talking about the great miracle of 1948, is looking and saying, but we have a problem, though. There are limbs of our body that have been ripped away from us. Where is Shechem? Where is Hebron? Where is Beta? Where are these places? They're on the other side. They're in the hands of the enemy. Where are they? No one exactly understood what he was talking about. Like, that's, this is Yom Atzimah. We're talking about, you know what? Like, what, what what's the, 
Three weeks later, Yom Yerushalayim is the day that we celebrate. But Yom Yerushalayim is just one of the days. It's the representative of the entire Yeshua that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us in the Six-Day War of 1967. By the way, the name of the war, the Six-Day War, who named it the Six-Day War? There's a committee that names wars. <coughs> Giving it the name is telling the story. It was a Six-Day War. Tonight, we mark Yom Yerushalayim. Tomorrow night, we mark Yom Gush Etzion. And the day after, we mark Yom HaGolan. All together, we wrap it up into one day of Yerushalayim as the top of the whole thing. Kaddish Baruch Hu reached down, and as I put it, and as Michael Unterberg put it, scooped us up, gave us a hug, brought us back, put things back where they belong. Look at the walls. In this room, Jordan. Pashut Jordan. You're going to walk out of here, you're going to walk down to Chov Chabad, you're going to make a left turn, you're going to head to the Chadrocha, you're going to walk in to your Sojo safe, and you're going to fetch about this is supper? <laughs> this is supper? Every Jewish Talmidot Chachamot that are here learning Torah for the year and going to wander around the streets of Yerushalayim kvetching about the menu. This is the Geula. <laughs> this is what it's all about. And you're part of it. And if you don't like supper, Kikar. It's open. Everybody's there. It's all there. And when you walk out, the little kids playing frisbee. That's the Nebuah. We will meet very, very soon to try to take all this stuff that we've, we've, we've just dedicated a couple hours of brain to understanding what happened. I want you to take it all into your brain. Put it in there well. If there's things you didn't understand, you can Google them, you can talk about it, put it in the brain. At 8.15 tonight, we meet outside of Shariatho. Bring your heart. Bring your heart. Bring your soul. Let us show our appreciation for everything he's given us. Chag Sameach.